Hey, 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 Champion Sharks, this is T, Ricky Rawls on Twitter, R-I-C-K-Y-R-A-W-L-S, no underscore. We have, um, I want to switch it up. So who did I introduce first last time? Okay, so we have D Mills. What's going on, everybody? It's D Mills. You can catch me on Twitter at MDMills79, at MDMills79. Great, and we have Mike. <laughs> oh man, and and you know we're going to hit a bunch of topics today, and not spend too much time on anyone. So you know, um, I had what well, we had because we put it together uh, as a group. We had an itinerary, but. There was some breaking news that hit me that I think is so important. I feel like jumping it to the uh, front of the line. And that breaking news is, um, I don't know if you guys can see the link, but uh, strippers in New York are on strike. Uh, let me be specific. Black and Latino strippers in New York are on strike. These are the, uh, the black strip clubs. And... A lot of people are talking about it. Apparently, I, I didn't realize. Like, I heard some some lip service given to it, but I thought it was just exaggeration for jokes. But all the rappers are weighing in. Instagram, the gram is lit over it. The gram, you know, wants to know what's going to happen to the strippers. Uh, Twitter is catching up. You, you know, everything ratchet happens on the gram first because the gram is visual. Like, you know, people went who are not big into reading, who just wanted visual. You know, th- those type of things pop up, pop off on the gram first. And I think on Twitter, now everyone's starting to figure out their woke angles to apply to it. So now uh, that people have, have their think piece angles, it's now starting to pop off on Twitter. But uh, have you guys uh, heard about this at all? When I initially heard it, I thought it was, they were being, it was a joke and people were being vicious. You know, just because the, the headline sounds so hilarious, you know, strippers going on strike. But uh, apparently, it's a real thing, man. They, um, it's uh, a few different uh, issues at play here. Apparently, uh, they tried to make it like it was a uh, light skin versus dark skin thing, and it, it, now I'm seeing some people say that the origins of it are actually have to do with bartenders getting more uh, attention and money, I guess, than the actual strippers are. Yeah, well, one thing that's that's been happening. I mean, I haven't been to one like in a long time, but. I know from Instagram and from what people tell me, apparently the same way nightclubs are becoming more about bottle service and bottles and bottles and tables and flossing. From what I've been told, I think strip clubs are becoming the same way because like, for example, I've seen things where I think they're like nightclub flyers. And then I realized later, oh wait, this is actually a, a strip club flyer, but it looks like a nightclub and the pictures on like the strip club's Instagram page will look indistinguishable from from nightclub pictures, except that there'll just be girls on poles in the background. It's like bottles, tables, whatever. So I guess just like the way the bottle girls have been some of the most lucrative people in the nightclub world now, now the bottle girls in strip clubs are like becoming stars in their own right and acting in some ways making, and sometimes making more money than the actual strippers without even having to take their clothes off. From tips? From 
tips and I guess pay. Actually, you know what? Let me just read, read the article because it's pretty short. It's from that reputable news site, uh, Media Takeout, which is well known for um, a paragon of journalistic integrity. Yes. Uh, Media Takeout in its whole existence, I think, has only ha- had to retract. That's only done about maybe three retractions ever. <laughs> Mostly because they just don't care if they get it wrong. Because so, they're, they're like wrong 90% of the time. Like, like immediate takeout is... Uh, well, you know what? That's neither here nor there. Let me read the article. Um, luckily, I have a MacBook now. So I can go on media takeout without instantly getting 20 viruses. Because they used to always have tons of viruses. It's like the worst cybersecurity possible um, media takeout breaking news new york city strippers go on strike they're fighting for equal treatment with the bartenders hashtag stripper wars hashtag stripper strike a group of the top african-american by the way media takeout has the most random word capitalization um ever but a group like they just put random words in all caps and i think i should probably read it like that to give the right effect so i'm going to emphasize the all cap words a group of the top african-american latina strippers in new york city have gone on strike the dancers are claiming that they will not return to work until the clubs give them equal treatment with the bartenders according to the de facto leader of the new york city stripper strike a dancer named giselle bartenders get preferential treatment at new york city clubs and the drink pourers often make more money than the dancers, even though they never have to take off their clothes. Okay. And then they put a bunch of Instagram uh, videos of strippers ranting. And one of the captions to one of the Instagram rants is, finally, here is a huge stripper strike in New York City because the strippers are tired of the closet strippers, meaning the bartenders, going on stage wearing thongs, picking up money off the floor, shaking their ass, basically doing everything a stripper does, but love to scream loud and proud, I ain't no stripper. I used to live in New York for two years. I moved there because the money was easy, fast, and came in endless bags. I moved from there because somewhere down the line, some dumbass promoter or club owner thought it'd be cool to have the bartenders dress like dancers and go on stage and et cetera, et cetera, without actually taking off the clothes. Good luck, ladies. In the meantime, hit the Carolinas. That's close to y'all, and it's always money down there. Or Philly or Chicago. So, um, yeah, to guys out there who like the old school strip clubs, the stripper is saying apparently the Carolinas, Philly, Chicago, I guess, uh, have strip clubs that aren't glorified, you know, nightclubs with bottle service. And... Hmm. Like, okay, so the, I mean, war. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, like, who, who, who is it that they want to do what? I mean, well, the bartenders. I mean, they they dress they they dress like strippers. Okay, maybe they don't take it off, but you also don't go behind the bar and make a Manhattan. So, oh, oh no, mean, but, they, but these bartenders aren't real bartenders, like in the classic sense. Like, what it is is, they kind of get some of that residual shine from the strippers. Like, like the strippers would be, you know, mm-hmm. busting it out. And then they get on stage mm. and, like, you know, will, like, walk around a little bit 
with the bottle and pick up some of the money like they, they, they did equal work. You know what I'm saying? So oh, they're not they're oh. not staying they're not staying in their lane behind the bar. They're going into because now with this bottle service, they're out in the mix anyway. They're not just behind a bar anymore. They're already on the floor. So then from the floor, now they're also going onto the stage and wearing provocative clothes. I guess the promoters have been pushing this. So I guess the strippers feel like they're doing the heavy lifting or the, maybe the heavy undressing. You know, and uh, <laughs> I thought it was just cute girls, you know, doing bartending. And then guys were just kind of hanging out around the bar and leaving fat tits there or something like that. I didn't know that they actually had the, the bartenders uh, wearing the skimpy clothing and then getting up on stage and, and doing like that. So that does definitely change things. Yeah, but still, they're do they're getting on the stage and it's and it's voluntary. If the if the guys in the crowd want to throw tips their way, it's not. No, the, no, no, no. What they're saying is they'll get on there, and the guys are already throwing money. Oh, the so they're just like basically the getting in their bag already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're picking up money off the stage. Like, hey, I just did some work. Let me take some of this money. And they're like, bitch, you didn't do the same amount of work that I did. <laughs> Okay, I get it now. <laughs> it was confusing at first, but I think I got it now. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah, it would be like if the strippers went behind the bar as the bartender's making a drink and then threw some garnish on the drink after the bartender made the drink <laughs> and then took part of the tip, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that seems to be what it, what it is. And, you know, a lot of socialists uh, listen to the show and I think... No, they need some organizing down there. There needs to be a union. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I can think. You, I, can you guys I, make that happen? Uh, our DSA friends, can we? Can we? Yeah, go I think I think there should be a uh, DSA well, stripper. I'm laughing, but I'm serious too, though. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not. That's not fair. That's not fair. I, I get. I get. I get the gripe now. Yeah, because if I was a traditional and, uh, union, you know, as fellow employees, I, I I would think that the bartenders would understand this and like, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna stay in our lane. You know, we're not gonna step on anybody's toes here. Right now, Cardi B is main. Right now, Cardi B is mainstream. She's been advocating for for stripper culture she's been talking about how strippers get mistreated so and she's so mainstream right now like i went to uh bushwick i went to a cafe there over the weekend it was uh little skips east on broadway and they had a picture of cardi b up on the wall in the hipster cafe so it's like i think it's a perfect section for Cardi B, hip hop, stripper culture, and DSA culture to interact. <laughs> ah, hey, you remember T? Yeah. T, do you remember that that um, that tweet that you retweeted with with that girl who was um who was likening Cardi B's big song that she has to some Cardi type of yeah, 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 yeah. There was a couple like that. There were two where you know trying to say Cardi B is the closet socialist. So it was like, hey, you know, I think it's time for Cardi B to become a real socialist, like DSA. Hook up with Cardi B. There you know, you go. yeah, and organize the strip club, man. We gotta, <laughs> yeah, we gotta do it. It's coming together. Yeah, baby. yeah. We gotta put you guys in touch with the right people. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get out in the field purely for research, and I want to see if I can interact with some of these, uh, <laughs> these uh, ladies of leisure, and you know, see if I can. <laughs> You know, that's, the, that's the most grassroots I've ever heard you get. I mean, I'm impressed with your dedication. Hey, hey, listen here, comrade. Listen here, comrade. I'm for the people, you know? 
So you're gonna go organize? That's 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 good. Yeah, yeah I mean, I feel like this, I feel like this show has the perfect cross section to make that happen. I mean, we got the streets, we got the socialists, we have the radicals, we have like you know people just come for the jokes, or whatever. I feel like we can get all the audiences to. I think you know make this unionize. I think somebody should reorganize. They have a leader. There's uh, her name is Giselle. I mean, I'm sure it's not her real name, but I mean, she goes by Giselle. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I... <laughs> no, but yeah, Giselle is um, you know, which one is this? Which one of these is Giselle? Is this the one in this first picture, T, with the uh, orangish hair? Um. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends. Are you looking at the MTO link, the media yes. takeout link? Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's in there. But, oh but the Culture God. Hub link, the, the other, the culture, when you say, oh my God, it's like gasping because of your shock at the bad, 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 bad treatment. Oh, man. Her oh. stomach, her stomach is so, her stomach is so flat. Like, she's got like three pieces of denim just holding all the goodies together, but it's holding it together so nicely. Oh, man, come oh, on. I think I'm in love with a strip. It's got to be professional here. This is terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I can separate my, you know, my, my desire. You know what? I don't want to. I kicked out before I started. Man, I'm I don't sorry. want you to organize. I'm sorry. I, can, I, can, I'm not, I don't want you to organize. I'm not going to Weinstein this. No, listen. I'm not, I'm not going to Weinstein this thing, okay? I can I can rein right, it in. Right, yeah. I can rein it in. I don't want you to you organize. Give me another shot. Y'all gave Y'all let y'all let Weinstein go for what thirty years, man. Y'all can give me one chance. I, 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 oh, you know, I overstepped a little bit. I do that sometimes. I get excited. You know what I'm saying? But all right, <clears throat> I'm gonna rein it in now. D, D Mills, uh, please rein this into the era of respectability again. In the area of respectability again, because because <laughs> Mike's off the Mike's off the reservation. I I don't know if we can rein. Yeah, Mike is Mike. Uh, well, I was. I was temporarily uh, possessed by a lust demon. They come in and they go. You know, I I've exercised that. You know, I prayed on it real quick. And it's you know, it's great here. The New York hip hop stations, because yes, you know, like the culture is all like screwed up now. The hip hop stations are like weighing in on this. Like they're covering like a summit or something. Like like it's like CNN covering a summit. Like Hot ninety seven is is like um putting up posts like breaking news the beef between bartenders and strippers has gotten worse in new york city we will get down to the middle of it like like i just love that that they're making it seem like this is like the important (laughs) news affecting the culture like i like that loving hip-hop culture has made hip-hop into an intersection of so many things like if the old five pillars of hip-hop were like graffiti breakdancing djing etc like not a five pillar is like stripping Instagram, um, well, there are no DJs anymore. Um, bottle service, yeah, yeah, yeah. B- bottle service, uh, beat makers, and like, like, what, whatever. Like, like, I don't think even rapping is even in the five pillars of hip hop well, anymore. Auto, is that, is like, oh, oh, VH1, VH1 is the fifth pillar of hip hop now. Oh. Where do we put auto tune at? Is that an honorary member? They get an honorable mention. Yeah, yeah. Auto tune might be a member. Yeah, yeah. Actually, auto tune might be like the fourth pillar. Like, like you know, something. Anybody out there? If anybody wants to create a new five or six pillars of hip hop that represents today's hip hop, uh, 
Yeah, I think I think Drakeism is its own pillar. Like like just the whole not Drake himself, but just the whole like guys with auto tune whining about um the girl who didn't uh, sleep with them like five years ago. Like that's that's like one pillar like, in and of itself. Like kind of that that simp- that simpish vibe. Oh man, there's so many dudes that are out there um, standing under that pillar right now. <laughs> yeah, like. I, actually, actually, you know what? We can call that pillar like tricking. Like, like tricking is a pillar of hip hop right now. Like simping and tricking. Like that's oh, yeah. that's one yeah, pillar right yeah. now. So then strippers, then strippers can kind of fall under that. So that's one pillar of hip hop. Uh, the twenty first century hip hop pillars. Oh, oh yeah, so yeah, so. So Hot 97, you know, weighed in because, you know, that's part of the hip-hop culture now. And then this article says, like, New York City is blowing up with responses. Like, like this is a state of emergency in the streets. Bossip highlights DJ K. Slay's response to the whole ordeal through an Instagram post. Because we love Instagram. Uh, he says, personally, I feel they should drop both titles, strippers and bartenders, because it's all the same shit now. Like, people are getting mad about the culture, like... like the culture has been degraded of the New York City strip clubs. And K Slay Wow, he's very he's very passionate about this. Here's a whole paragraph. I see the ladies beefing in New York now. Dancers versus the bartenders, shaking my head. We all have to just face the fact that it's a new day. It was a time where bartenders were only allowed to serve drinks and didn't wear the same attire as the dancers. The ladies did not change that rule, the clubs did. And the social media made it where some promoters. This is just too long. Like, like he's really involved in this. Like he, um, he gets into racism, VIP, the customers, the culture. It's. Are, are you guys looking at it? And it's in the culture club link. I am. Yeah, it's, I am. Yeah. Well, I got stuck at the top of the page because of the. Oh, well, okay, never mind, never mind. But yes, I'm there. Okay, I see that. Okay, I see it now. Yeah. Now he wrote a book on it. Yeah, he wrote a book and, and he, he gets into levels. Like this is kind of sad because hip hop used to like get into issues. This is the most involved I've seen like uh, modern mainstream hip hop in any issue. Like they're getting to the history of it, into the factions. And I'm like like you wouldn't know that people were getting shot in the streets like the past like three or four years. Like, I was gonna say, damn, they're breaking this down better than they break down racism and white supremacy. They Yeah, he's, he's getting like woke in this about he's talking about the the racism in the strip clubs and whatever, like who knew that we needed strippers to get like uh people to really care about this this stuff. So this is why I think Cardi B DSA connection would really work combined with like Black Lives Matter. This could People are really getting involved over this um, strip club thing. Yeah. My lord! Well, you know, you guys, right, you so guys, you know. Sorry, go ahead, Mia. MDM. No, go, go ahead, Mike. You got it. Go ahead, bro. No, I don't even know what I was gonna say <laughs> now, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I wonder I'm... how much of this? Yeah, go on. I said, I wonder how much of this has to do with like the cosmetic uh, choices that a lot of the ladies are making now. And some of the guys are becoming dissatisfied with um, with their seeing because I remember uh, what the hell I remember seeing um, a post one day where the lady was saying that uh, um, she, she was saying, oh, man, you guys are throwing fake money on the stage now. huh? Is that where we're at? She was a stripper. And then the guy replied, man, y'all shaking fake asses now. No, <laughs> so, I don't know if you know there's something going on where 
That's wrong. Obviously, something happened where there had to be a shift. You know, there was a dissatisfaction in the, in, from the customers that came from going to the clubs. And then somehow some promoter thought, okay, maybe it's a good idea to kind of mix it up a little bit. You know, it just seems like they're trying to trying to extend it, you know, from the, making the stage the focal point to just like everything in the club is. Yeah, well, it's already you know and, I mean? and, and, like, and that's I already. Think, I don't think the customers were dissatisfied because if anything, seeing this case slave thing, some other people, I think some customers, at least the old school ones, are kind of like upset because they're like, you know, we used to come here for the art, we used to come here for the culture of seeing stripping. And now it's become like this um, bottle service flossing uh, sideshow. I mean, I mean, it's hard to tell what Case Slay is saying because it's a very long, detailed, kind of convoluted thing. But um, well, has the stripping scene in New York always been uh, what it's become lately? I mean, because I know the, the whole stripping scene was big in the South and in the Midwest or whatever. Yeah, Atlanta, I heard, as a crazy know. one. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like the mecca. Yeah. Uh, I think Atlanta. I think Atlanta might Fellas. be the one that actually created the model for the strip club being like a central part of, um, you know, hip hop culture and stuff. There was even a really good surprise. Surprisingly, of all places, GQ had a really good article about uh, Atlanta and how it pioneered strip club culture and made it a pivotal part of, um, you know, the music scene. Like, like Future got big from the strip club. Like, the promoters, like, go to the strip club and try to get the DJs to break acts. Uh, the article is called Inside Magic City, the Atlanta strip club that runs the music industry. And it's just a, like, no sarcasm, a surprisingly good piece of, um, of, uh, journalism. But I think the VH1, uh, love and hip hop world kind of helped, uh, mainstream that to, Hip hop all over. Like I feel like, well, down south in general, kind of started down uh, dominating hip hop everywhere, and then I think even their cultural dynamics uh, started changing. Because in in New York, the Hood Strip Club was just a dusty place. It was like something where, like you know, it was its own dusty, shame filled corner of the hood. You know, you go. And the way and the way that Hood Strip Club used to work, like you used to know which um, strip clubs were what. Like, like the real Hood Strip Club, if you went there and you flashed too much money, the girls working would um, call the guys from the projects and describe what you were wearing, so you would get robbed when you left the club. Like, like, like they would be that hood sometimes. Like, you know. The project girl stripping would be like, okay, this guy's flashing mad money. He's wearing X, Y, and Z. And then, like, you know, people would wait for that guy, like, outside and stuff. It was uh, it was not like what it is now, where it's like, they're actual events. They have promoters. They have flyers that look like party flyers. They have bottle service. Uh, all the bartenders. True events. And, events and, now. Yeah. But all, the, all, all the bartenders and strippers have their own instagram pages the bottle service like bottle service girls and their own follow their own followings it's um it's it's, it's a crazy scene and it's i different. guess uh it's weird how it, it, it's wild how much that stuff has grown over the years because i remember in the 90s in the mid and late 90s when i used to go to strip clubs 
out here in L.A., there were no black strip clubs, really. It was mostly all underground. So if you wanted to go see some black strippers, you know, you had to find out wherever the underground spot was for that weekend where the girls were going to be. And you'd have promoters or what have you, and they'd be the ones that get the talent together and pick the location. Out here, it was mostly um, the white clubs that were established, from what I remember. You didn't have like a place like Aces or anything like that, you know, where now Aces is like a premier destination for, you know, a lot of the black talent that does it now. You know, it's like an upscale black club. There was no Aces back in the day. You know, it was just you'd go to this one hood spot, go in there. And and like you said, there was a good chance that you'd get into it with somebody when you go to these places. You're kind of taking your life into your own hands. Oh, yeah, you know yeah. I mean, I mean, like... So, crazy how much that's... Yeah, I mean, now, like, post-gentrification and post-all that stuff, the hood is like a theme park. Like, like, like the hood is toothless. I think we spent too much time on this already. I just want to talk about, talk about labor issues and... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we do need to, uh, uh, you know, an expert opinion... So maybe if we could reach out to you know one of the organizers of this uh a boycott protest uh strike strike uh you know that you know just for clarity's sake and just you know really get a you know a inside perspective of what they're going through because it's, it's I'm fascinated hey, hey, I am fascinated you know, hey, if you want to volunteer I mean knock yourself out I'm a I'm a married man I'm staying behind my computer we're safe. The next, the next thing, have you guys seen this uh, T-shirt? The invited to the cookout uh, T-shirt. Yes. Well, I, I've seen it. You know what, T? You're like on top of it. I don't know how these people come across your radar, but the, I always hear about the craziness from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it's weird. I, I don't have to try anymore because I think people just want to hear us like rip things apart now. So now people just keep sending me all types of fuckery. Like <laughs> everything that people see that's like fuckery now, people are just like, hey T, you seen this? Like so like my D like it's nice because I used to have to like go on a fuckery hunt and now I don't have to do that. Like now it's like yeah. having interns or like a, a a field a field of agents. Like you know what I mean? Like a a field team of agents. So people just send all types <laughs> of crazy stuff now. So this site Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's that, yeah. This site called um Swirl Bay, it's the word swirl, which is like interracial dating. Like this is a swirl movement that's about it's about black people obsessed with uh, getting with white people, and they call it the swirl. Yeah, this is not let's let's yeah let's make that distinction. Swirling is not about interracial dating per se. It's 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 a it's a it's a distinct subset of interracial dating when you say interracial dating you could be it could be black white it could be black asian it could be asian you know latino or whatever swirling is distinctly talking about black white hookups yeah and the swirling movement tends to be more distinctly um black women and white men like uh, white men yeah i don't really think there's so much a reverse swirling thing i think maybe because also black men white women is such a cliche now it's kind of stupid to make it a movement mm-hmm. because that's been like 90 percent of the black white interracial dating so this i think because it's more like um a new movement i don't want to say movement a new trend and fast growing like 
the people into it are very enthusiastic and they created this swirling quote unquote movement. So this site is called Swirl Bay and I'm going to put it into the show notes, but it's just about, um, it has all these t-shirts and caps and stuff. And it says invited to the cookout on the, um, caps and the caption that Swirl Bay put up, they put up photos of white people wearing the invited to the cookout shirt. And the idea is when you go to your next black gathering, uh, cookout, you can give your white bay the invited to the cookout shirt. You see, so it says, get invited to the cookout, celebrate the allies, partners, homies, and swirly plus ones in your life with a gift from the newest line of inclusive teas. Inclusive? Yeah, not exclusive, inclusive. Yeah, I Teas <laughs> and hoodies from Swirl Bay. And, you know, there's like a white guy wearing it and there's a white girl wearing it. And there's a girl that looks kind of mixed. So I don't know if she's on the inviting side or the invitee side, you know. And the, the, mm. the one thing I find so funny with the whole invited to the cookout thing that like the BuzzFeed Blacks love to do is they're barely invited to the cookout themselves. Like, 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 <laughs> like, like these are black people who don't even have their own cookout. And they're talking about who is or... Exactly. You are the plus one. They show up. They show... They're going to bring their uh, swirly bay to the cookout. And then the people at the cookout are going to be like, wait. Why are you Forget here? your plus one. Who are you? Right. No, I think yeah. that's... A, a lot of times, these people are very... Um, they hold a lot of internalized anti-black sentiments themselves. Speaking about yeah. people who perpetuate the, the swirling movement, you know, you want to talk about invited to the cookout. They themselves hold um, blackness and a sort of antipathy toward their own blackness, and or I should say, towards other black people. You know, so yeah, they have very problematic views of of uh, black people themselves. And a lot of times they exoticize and otherize blacks in the same way that um, white people do. So, you know, they'll even talk about uh, black people in the same exotic, otherized, weird, uh, neo-primitive ways that like a, a white liberal will. But because they realize the, fas- the fascination that a lot of white liberals have with the... Uh, so-called authenticity of black culture, you're willing to pretend to be experts in it or be insiders in it, you know, to the extent that it helps them look appealing to uh, these white people. So it's kind of funny. These people are barely um, insiders or experts of the culture themselves, but they're the ones who talk the most about inviting people to the cookout or giving... or advertise themselves as these type of cultural tour guides. Like these same people write an article in BuzzFeed or Blavity about, you know, how they were the only black person in their school and blackness was new to them. And then the next week they write an article explaining black culture to white people. And it's just like so interesting. It's like how are you explaining you know, black culture to white people when you yourself say that black culture is in many ways alien to, to you? You know, it's that Yeah, and it's not even like us speculating like you write these articles. Right. Yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not putting words in your mouth. Yeah, it's very interesting. I also find it interesting 
the white people fall yeah, for it. I think, okay, if you, yeah, if you just read an article by the same guy saying that like a lot of blackness is alien to him, then why do you also like eat it up and they write an article the next week, you know, explaining um, everything and inviting you to the cookout or whatever? It's very bizarre. Well, maybe these people represent for them the new black that Pharrell was talking about, and they want to be part. They want to be cool with the new black that 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 black culture that nobody's that they're not familiar with. They're not really interested in that. They want this watered down, uh, uh, lightened version of the blackness that these people are familiar with. Yeah, maybe maybe they don't actually want. Like you said, like this is not me adding anything. Just, 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 um, I guess agreeing. Yeah, that they don't want it too authentic. Like you know, maybe it's maybe it's like some people like some people like um, Taco Bell better than <laughs> the super spicy taco truck, um, greasy authentic Mexican. Like some people actually prefer that. You know, so yeah, that could be. Yeah, that could be. That could be it. They want that. Um, Pharrell, title the creator, kind of. I found an article. I was looking for a term for this type. And I found an article. It's an old article, but it nails it. There was this article, I think it's from the 80s, maybe the 90s. It was about, it's about this guy called Trey Ellis. And it's called um, The Cultural Mulatto. Hmm. And, uh, That's so familiar to me. Yeah, I might have brought it up to you before. It might be why. I think I might have DM'd it to you. Because I was like, I finally found a term. For these people, it already exists, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it was called, um, it actually has, the article was called, it's an essay called The New Black Aesthetic. And it was all about like black people who kind of are able to have a foot in both worlds. And he called them, uh, cultural mulattoes because they had a, a finger on the pulse of black culture to a degree and a finger on the pulse of white culture. And, um, yeah, it was 1989 culture mulatto. There's actual Wikipedia entry to it. And it's a concept introduced by Trey Ellis and his nine S 89 essay, the new black aesthetic. And it just talks about the culture mulatto. I'll read from the Wikipedia article is defined by Ellis as a black person who is highly educated and usually a part of the middle or upper middle class and therefore assimilates easily into traditionally white environments. And, and he says, just as a genetic mulatto is a black person of mixed parents who can often get along fine with his white grandparents, a cultural mulatto educated by a multiracial mix of cultures can also navigate easily in the white world, end quote. Cultural mulattoes are skillful code switchers, and they may be equally comfortable around blacks as around whites. Members of the new black aesthetic are typically uh, cultural mulattoes. And, you know, he describes people like Bill Cosby's daughters and, and um, you know, people like that. Uh, he calls Barack Obama cultural mulattoes. But I think today's cultural mulattoes are different than what he describes in that a lot of them, at least in like the ones that we call like Blavity, BuzzFeed Blacks and stuff, they actually are more comfortable on the white side. Like they're, yeah. they're like maybe like uh cultural oct- octoroons, 
you know, like, <laughs> like they're not really um, 50, not even 50. 50, 50, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're like cultural quadroons or octoroons. They're like uh, 25% are less cultural, I mean, culturally comfortable with, with uh, black culture. And a lot of people kind of call them on it. It's very, um, very interesting. But. Yeah, because we are cold switch to a degree, you know, to varying degrees. But, you know, there's a level of, of comfort that is associated with the types of code switching that you're discussing. Um, and it seems like theirs is more high with um, the white side as opposed to the black side. I've actually met a f- couple of people like that, you know, in my in recent times, you know, being involved with um, community work. And uh, someone has actually straight up said that to me. You know, they say, you know, the reason why we don't attend or we had not been attending, um, you know, the meetings is because we felt like you know, we weren't black enough. I'm like, wow. And they're actually, black. Look they're at actually racially black themselves. Yeah. Right. They're, they're uh, mixed. They're, they're a mulatto, mm-hmm. but culturally they identify more with, with, with uh, whiteness than with blackness. And so, you know, there's always that aspect of it. So, I, but I guess that's a little bit different because if you grew up and, and that's the one side of your of your um, racial makeup that you identified with the most growing up and things like that, I guess that's a little bit different than than having grown up um, in a parent house in a, in a household where both parents were black, but you grew up around uh culturally around more white people and then you're more comfortable around those people i guess that's a little bit different than actually you know being mixed with white yourself and then you know having maybe identifying yeah yeah more with because that to be clear just so people know culturally. the culture mulatto is yeah. in no way a literal mulatto i mean they can be but the cultural mulatto is just talking right. about culture you can be like a hundred percent black you could be dark-skinned two black parents but be a cultural mulatto. It's just about how, what your cultural DNA is, you know? Yeah. So, and I actually, right. And I've had a couple of people that, um, that were fully black as well as actual mulattoes that have, that have communicated that. So they were not as comfortable around black people or they didn't feel black enough. Um, when they, so that's the reason why they didn't feel comfortable attending. Yeah. Uh, something I'll meeting. add too, right. Uh, Invited to the cookout Twitter is the same as seat at the table Twitter. They, like, it's the same thing. It's the same projected yeah. mindset. Like, because, and it's, and it's projection. Like, what I mean by that is these type of blind people, they're very obsessed with a seat at the table. Like, they don't, you know, we, we said this a million times. Anyone who's listened to the show is probably tired of hearing about it. But, you know, it's like, they don't want to revamp the table or get rid of the table. Like say, why is there even a table? You know, they, they, they just want a seat at it. And if it's a shitty three-legged table, fine. Just let us be with you at that shitty table and, and shitting on everyone who's not at the table, you know? And because all they can think about when dealing with white people and the system is how to get invited to it. It makes sense that they themselves think that the biggest currency they have to offer in return is giving them access and inviting them somewhere. So I think it's very interesting. It's like uh, the I feel like that swirl movement is a mix of black people who want 
a seat at the table and white people who want an invitation to a cookout both kind of uh, negotiating with each other. And part of me wonders, to what degree do white people even really want an invitation to a cookout? Like, I don't think it's... The cookout is a mythical uh, it's a mythical thing. It's not a real... There's no real, you know, slab of ribs out there with some white guy's name on it. It's... It's not a it's not a real cookout. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I mean, I, it's I mean, not I think a tangible cookout, thing. Yeah, I think the cookout is largely like symbolic. Like you know, I, I think just want to know like what black people talk about when they're alone. It's like you know, fascinates them. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the case. Yeah, but I find it interesting, like how seat at the table and invitation to a cookout go hand in hand, and they kind of feed off each. They kind of feed yeah, off each yeah. other. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question that you ask. Yeah, that's a good question that you asked. I don't know to what degree um, white people genuinely want. to I think be they like the humor us a lot, you know yeah. what I mean? especially those type, not us. I say them. I think they like to humor them a lot and patronize yeah. them, and they don't even pick up on them a lot, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think they like to exaggerate how much they want to be at the cookout, or maybe they do, but you know, they're happy reading about it on a page. Like you know, every now and then they're okay to go, but I, I don't think like they want to be at the cookout to the degree that these black people want a seat at the table. And and honestly, I don't think even the black people no. who want a seat at the table even really want to be at the cookout themselves. I think they just want to be at the cookout just enough so that they can go back to the white person and tell them about the cookout sure. and sound well, authentic. Well, they want to invite, they want to, invite them to the cookout. Yeah. And then the guy say, no, you know, I can't make it. Well, let's go to, you know, let's go to, you know, Barnes uh, & Noble instead. <laughs> you know what's interesting is I wonder what kind of white people are acceptable for for a lot of these black people to invite to the cookout because I'm wondering now if like a hood white person counts you know what I mean because there's like there's some white people that you know are raised in the hood around black people yeah. but that doesn't seem to be the type of white person that a lot of these um you know, seat at the table, intersectional uh, Twitter folks are talking about. Yeah, they they want like push you know, comes to shove, they'll a bring straight them. lace. But it's not. You're right. You're right. It's not yeah, their first choice. Like you know, if they can get if they can't get Justin Timberlake to go, then they'll bring Riff Raff, but try to make him wear a, a button polo or something. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So they want the more straight laced white guy they want kind of like how you talked about um some of the white women wanting uh authentic black guys and you know having a little bit of hood in them and all that kind of stuff but not too too hood so you think it's that opposite i mean how uh, do you imagine dynamic so? comes I, into play? I, unless the because if you're getting like the white throw-offs or the outcasts then they don't even have a seat to the table themselves so how are they going to get you help you get the seat to seat at the table? So yeah, I mean I imagine I'm no expert on it, but that would be my imagination. But then again, I'm not always sure because sometimes I see some people with um one of those really um hood or trashy white guys and he'll you'll have like a real fine black girl. So I guess you sometimes, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess <laughs> That's why I say, like, you know, when push comes to shove, you know, I think they'll they'll deal with that type, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I've seen that I, I in my neighborhood, you know, uh, you know, I'm from Altadena. 
And in our neighborhood, we had a couple of white guys that were like that. They weren't pretending or anything like that. They weren't trying to be something that they weren't. They were raised around us and did all the same things that we did. We all kind of grew up together. So they were like a homie, just like you know, if it was a black dude that was being a homie. So it wasn't like it was some white yeah. kid in Iowa or something that you know watched hip hop culture from afar and then he's trying to mimic it. Or it wasn't like some, you know, Malibu's most wanted type shit. These were real dudes. You know, they grew yeah, up yeah. in the same neighborhood and in, in the same kind of lifestyle, the same um, financial demographic, you know. But I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe that is the case. Maybe they want a specific kind of white guy to invite I don't to know, the cookout. Man. The types of people that we're talking about. I don't know. Because like the same, those, those. Like those, like those guys you're talking about. Like I know those type of guys too, and like, like I've noticed that the same kind of comp- they do the same things that we do. You know, like if 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 the complaints that they have about us, these guys do them too. But they for, they're more forgivable for some reason. It seems like when when it comes down to it, I've noticed that they, you know, they get a pass. But it's not their behavior. Fault. Is it? Is it? It's not is it fault. their fault that? that- I'm talking about the, the women, guys the, black, the black women. Yeah, oh, about oh, yeah, women. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What he's saying, so yeah. what he's so saying is the ratchetness, the ratchetness that they do that would disqualify uh, oh. that guy or look bad on them. They will get a pass on it, like it's uh, almost like a curiosity, or oh, even yeah. almost admirable, even almost admirable. You know? Yeah, that is that is a hundred percent. Because true. I knew Absolutely. I knew a black girl who. Uh, she was, she was a lawyer and everything, but she would date like these John B type of, you know, over the top wigger, wigger type of, uh, white guys. <laughs> and then one time, like, you know, she made a comment, she goes, cause somebody asked her, uh, yo, what's with you always, um, dating these white guys? Because, um, uh, I knew another white guy that kind of, um, hooked up with her and I wasn't there. But she was like, um, oh, yeah, you know, oh, but yeah, he's uh, he's blacker than T, right? And Damn. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, I'm sure he wasn't, but that's not that's like besides the point. But because she was one of those people that she was not really from black culture herself. You see what I'm saying? Right. So like. Right. So she didn't have a lot of room to talk about what is or what isn't. Yeah, but. Like, I'm more from it than she is, but because right. she reduces, um, she views black people, even though she's black, the way a white person does. So in her mind, this guy was uh, blacker than me because he had like cornrows and stuff. Like, like she had that kind of superficial, like, like you know, if you ask him, Wait, what? what's that? You said he, the white guy had cornrows? Well, the one that she was telling my friend about. Uh, apparently had like some kind of cornrows or some kind of over the top stuff. He was like very performatively wiggerish. But <laughs> but what was what was funny about her is to go to Mike's point. I bet you, because based on how she actually treats like uh, black guys who are rough around the edges, like a black guy who was acting like this guy, she would find disgusting and would judge because she would always complain about ghetto people. Oh wow! So so you don't so she doesn't actually like real 
ghetto people and puts down black people who are in her mind ghetto. But when she's with this uh, white, this white uh, down by law type, uh, she's praising him for how authentically black he is. Yeah. Damn. Well, you know, I kind of feel like that's across the board in a lot of ways because even if it's a straight-laced white guy, I've seen them get away with a lot of the same type of fuckery that... that um, and I'm speaking... To, okay, let me take this back. I, I know a black girl that said she's never going to date black guys again um, because of X, Y, and Z. You know, they, they cheat all the time. They don't take... They don't know how to take care of a woman. You know, all these different... Um, reasons and so she gets with this white guy and the guy was married he had a family he left his family to be with this girl and then he ends up leaving her Um, he didn't want to pay child support and he was abusive so everything that she pretty much complained about black guys being uh, being a negative about black guys she met you know a straight nerdy you know kind of white guy not a hood dude, not a hood white guy or any, not acting like a wig or anything. I mean, just a straight up white dude. And they were doing some of the same types of shit, but for whatever reason, um, they got passes that black guys were no longer to afford it. Uh, and that, so, you know, to go to Mike's point, I just think black people in general, women and men, when they get into that mindset of, black is wrong and white is the answer or some other racial group is the answer. We tend to overlook the fact when these people do a lot of the negative behaviors that we accuse our black, uh, counterparts or our black people of doing. I think that's across the board. I think it's also too that. Yeah. I think I it's think also too yeah. that they think of when a black person doing it, it's something ingrained you know it's like that person is fundamentally defective and it's a symptom of the blackness it's like oh this person is coughing because he has incurable chronic bronchitis oh this person is coughing because you know he just has a cold so if i wait it out that cold's gonna go away like, like i think to some degree a lot of times we buy into this image of ourselves as fundamentally unchangeably uh defective like that, that it's, it's part of being black yeah so i think so i think yeah we pathologize everything so a lot of times no matter what the um white person does it's still viewed as like a choice that can be changed whereas when the black person does it okay it's proof that you really are living up to your skin color and you're defective you're damaged goods we internalize a lot of that stuff yeah. So they want to get as far so they can go through the exact same issues. Uh, it's called being human, being in a relationship, being human. And they can go through the exact same types of things, but view it as a, as a pathology in black people, but then view white people as um, something that can be remedied, or you know, it's just this particular person but not as a whole. They don't condemn white people um, bar none, you know, without exception. Yeah, they get to be individuals, 
They, their flaws are individual flaws. Wow. Our flaws are ingrained into our group identity. Damn. That's not tough. just group identity. Uh, DNA. Yeah. Yeah, right down to the core of it. Our DNA. It's in, it's in us. We can't escape it. Yeah, I think. And that's why, you know, that's why you, you we can't get the leniency that other people get. Um, okay, so moving on to the next topic, we're talking about cultural tourism, and that brings me the Blacks Giving piece by um, Rembrandt Brown. It appeared in um, Bon Appetit. Bon Appetit is a magazine by Condé Nast, who does GQ and other uh, websites, and I wasn't able to get a full copy of the article because it's not online yet. I think they release it online after the print issue that appears in goes off the stands. But I came across it because a lot of white liberals were um, retweeting it. I forget exactly how I came across it, but some white liberals were um, retweeting it and they were eating it up. And he was saying about this black Thanksgiving piece. It's amazing. It brought tears to my eyes. It brought all this stuff. I'm like, what are these people talking about? I was pretty curious. And then finally, some people, because they were so moved by it, some people put pictures of um, pages from it. And this is the full, this is the full heading. It's by Rembert Brown who's a black guy. And it says, thank you, God, for this food. Amen. That's the title. The subtitle, the subheading is Rembrandt Brown on learning how to be black one Thanksgiving at a time. And then um, the passage that someone else um, put up. Actually, you know what? I can even, I can find an even, even better passage because, because, I found an even better passage. But before I get to that better passage, I just want to say it's interesting that a lot of these articles by a lot of these writers are about learning how to be back. And I just find it fascinating. A lot of these writers have that. And I'm curious about, like, why? Why is that such a compelling thing for people to read? And I assume it's for a white audience. I think so, because I don't think they're telling black people how to be black <laughs> for a black audience. So I think that's definitely who it's targeted towards. And I think the reason why that is, is because also I've seen the, some articles in a similar vein where they describe, you know, how to get a white guy and stuff like that. Like you'll see some of the um, the intersectional feminist types or not the intersectional feminist, but, you know, a lot of these uh, swirler types. They write articles talking about um, what is it like to date a black girl or, you know, how to get a white guy. And they describe like. Oh, there was a pretty there was a pretty good one. And by good, I mean good and terrible. A good example, because it's typical what you're talking about. Not good because it was actually enjoyable to um, ingest in any way. But there's one by this girl called Akil Hughes, and it was called Your First Black Girlfriend. Yeah, and it was a YouTube video all about um, giving white guys a guide to their first black uh, girlfriend. 
Yeah, that, that 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 that's exactly yeah. Oh yeah, it's called Meet Your First Black Girlfriend, and and um, Huffington Post and a lot of other uh, sites were so tickled about it. They uh, even spotlighted it. So Huffington Post said. Um, well, the thing about this article, though. Oh, sorry. I'm pausing because I'm waiting for it to come up. Oh yeah, meet your first black girlfriend, and now here's what not to say or do to her. So uh, yeah, white people were sharing this with with each other, and it's just like a etiquette guide for how to date your first black uh, girlfriend. Hi, I'm your first black girlfriend. Yes, you can touch my hair, but your friends can't, and your family can't. So don't ask. Tell your family I exist. Look, this is non-negotiable. Do you want to date me or your mom? Me? Good. Then man up and tell her about us. Your friends are going to ask you what it's like to be with a black girl, and there are only two acceptable responses. One, make a really funny joke about eating fried chicken every night. Or two, tell them to stop exoticizing your relationship because I'm just a human woman like any other human woman. You can get fried chicken. I don't care. That is not what Ashy means. Stop staring at my satin cap, okay? I wear it because I don't want my hair to go everywhere and look like a mess. I know you can't recognize when my hair looks a mess, but I don't want side eye from the black people on the train. That's not what nappy means. Look, I'd like to watch The Help or Django or 12 Years a Slave with you, but if you're gonna make sex weird because of it, I don't want to, all right? I know you don't think slavery was cool, but if you could just talk to your white friends about your guilt instead of making me feel it, that'd be fine. You can never say the N-word, not even if it has an A on the end of it. Nod so I know you understand because I'm not gonna tell you again. Thank you. And last thing I'll say before I pass it back to Mike, oh, wow. uh, for the election, there was this thing called like the Black and Brown Summit, I think it was, and it was all about asking like candidates, like a round table, presidential candidates, like a round table, to answer and discuss uh, black issues. And the two black people on the panel were the girl who made this "Your First Black Girlfriend" video, and remember the "This Is Black Thanksgiving" guy. Wow! <laughs> wow! What a coincidence! Yeah, they were the they were the panelists chosen um uh, to address uh the presidential candidates with uh the concerns and issues of uh black america mm-hmm. and the funny thing about that wow. is, is like you know from reading that little excerpt that you showed like his his you know it was such a superficial kind of like Guy, like he's explaining to white people how you know how to become black wait, 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 he didn't wait, even really wait, touch on all that thought because I have not read the passage yet. Oh, sorry. So, no, no, it's fine. Hold that thought, and then um, once I say the passage, the people will know what you're talking about, right? So he says, "I shouldn't even be talking about this, but here we are. First things first. Black people are not a monolith. That's one of their favorite phrases. It's reductive and a gross generalization to think in such terms. And with that out of the way." Let's talk about Black Thanksgiving. The details of this event are admittedly sourced from my own Thanksgiving. Black Southern celebration featuring four generations of people, dishes, and stories. It's the only Thanksgiving I can um, something speak of because I've only ever been to my own family's Thanksgiving and my attendance is 100%. Blah, blah, blah. Um, blackness often invites hyperbole since we have so occasion, 
since we have to occasionally stretch the truth loudly simply to get acknowledged. The big black Southern American Thanksgiving, however, it's near impossible to exaggerate what it's like to attend. So he's really selling this to white people. It's like to part to to participate. That said, I've never described it well. I always post a photo of my annual first plate. The meatloaf and the turkey and the ham and the seven layer salad and the macaroni and cheese alpha, which is my mom, and the macaroni and cheese beta, a person who has the audacity to compete with my mother's Velveeta Valhalla, and the broccoli casserole and the yams and the cranberry sauce and the collard greens, etc. Then the t- uh, continues on to. Let me see if I can find it. Because there's a second page when my computer is freezing up. The second page goes... Anyone who can see what's on that plate... Anyone can see what's on that plate, but describing what it's like to hold the weighty mass around all those black women who in my family outnumber the men six to one and then commence eating a meal that celebrates in your mouth like Juneteenth, Brown versus Board of Education, and Freaknik in a room of 50 people, it's not easy. The food and the cast of characters, these are the surface reasons for why it's hard to explain Wakandan Thanksgiving. But then there's the other reason. Wait a minute, wait a minute, T. Reread, reread that last okay. sentence, T. The food and the cast of characters, these are the surface reasons for why it's hard to explain Wakandan Thanksgiving. But then there's the other reason. Blacksgiving is my blackest day of the year. And that is not something to take lightly. I typically have six to eight extremely black days a month. To the untrained eye, the blackness is in the people. But that's not the entire story. The true essence is in the lens through which we discuss what has happened since we last came together. So why does it we talk about exactly? Again, I shouldn't even be talking this shit. I've already said too much. Let's start from the beginning and how this and see how this goes. So it's interesting. Like it's really stunning the whole cultural tour guide thing. Like I've said too much, but here's some more insight into what happens at a Black Thanksgiving, and you can, you know, see the right. essence. Yeah. Like, well, you sound like a runaway slave, though. <laughs> I shouldn't even be saying this. I could get killed for letting y'all inside, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Y'all ready? Here I go. Get your ass out of here with that. Oh, man. Oh, my God. And, and, and you know what I like? There's so many um, sensory things here because one of the things I like to say is, like, in the white imagination, like, white people are a visual thing, right? That's why, like, you know, white people are all about beauty, about science, whatever. I mean, science is all observation. It's visuals. But, like, black people in the white imagination, are a sensual thing. But sensual in the classic sense of the term. Like the word sense isn't sensual. Sensual means something that engages multiple senses. So like black people and the idea of them being authentic, like you notice when, when white people talk about black people, it's about how they smell, taste, feel, like the hair. That's why they like grab always touching black people's hair. Like black people are meant to be like a full five sense experience. And like he, this guy, he gets how he understands the white middle class imagination because he tries to give 
you the, the, the all five senses in describing. He's talking about the weighty mass, so you can just imagine this thick, greasy, heavy food, you know. And I could see the white person reading it like, oh my god, that Negro food is probably just so substantial and authentic. <laughs> it's not like our kale, like you know. And and yeah. and, and you know, he, he's just talking about. He's engaging every sense he can in this, trying to really, like, you know, let people see. And I think what's also interesting, you notice he mentions around all those black women. Then he puts in parentheses, who in my family outnumbered the men six to one? Like, why is that important? And why do you have to get so specific? Well, it's important to let. It's it's important because, you know, families don't really have a lot of black men around. The men are running the streets and, you know, let them know Fucking that it's safe yeah, you, to be here. There's you know, no one here to uh, oppose. <laughs> it's a we're in the midst of a matriarchy here. This is a uh, this is a woman led zone. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, yeah. It's a safe space because you know, it isn't a toxic. It isn't a toxic masculinity. And the difference with, with black masculinity versus white masculinity is with black masculinity, it's automatically default toxic, toxic masculinity. Right. Like you know, you know, like. With white masculinity, you have to specify if you're talking about like you know good or toxic. But with black masculinity, it's interchangeable with toxic masculinity. So, but also, black people, black women are going through like a. Uh, uh, this is their time to shine right now. Like right now, they are trendy with white liberals in a way they've never been before. Yeah. With the uh, whole Maxine Waters fixation, the love of Beyonce, all these threads about like you know. Trust black women. Black women will save you. Unless thank God for black women. Like, unless the like black you see on woman Twitter, is too like far to the left, and that's a, but that's a whole nother. That's a whole. Nother yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, but but you know, everybody wants to have their honorary auntie. You know, white people calling Maxine Maxine Waters Auntie Maxine, like she's like a family member. You know. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's so. It makes me cringe every time yeah, I see white people calling her auntie. Like they have no. Yeah historical sense of, you know, no sense of history with that term and, you know, referring to black people, you know, by Yeah, that. yeah, but but uh, people like the ones who write this article or who write the, um, or or who do the Your First Black oh, yeah. Girlfriend video or who sell Swirl Bay, like, like they're the ones who kind of give them the license, yeah, the, the license, pass. the pass, yeah. to call her Auntie Maxine, and they'll even clap and be happy when, um, they do it because they'll be like, if they call her Auntie Maxine, then it's gonna be easier for them to see me as a family member, as in like marry marrying me. <gasps> you know, like oh, I like oh, wow. I like that you're able to think of a black person <laughs> wow. as an auntie because you accepting them means you might accept me down the line. You know, yeah, and maybe maybe. Yeah, and then maybe you might be getting a real auntie because you know those type of black people they get really happy when they see white people calling her Auntie Maxine or sweating her. So yeah, like I think because like you know this guy knows how much white liberals are into black women more than black men. He wants like MDM like like D Mills said. I want you to know my family is a matriarchy. My my family is it's an extra good black family because we have all those black women with minimal of those pesky black men. Wait a minute. Yeah, you guys are kind of ambivalent about it. Wait a minute, though. Can I interject real quick? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. That that's six to one ratio. I don't. I've never seen that anywhere. Have you seen that? Where the women? It doesn't even make logistical sense. Yeah, like he must have a family full of like crazy criminals or something. Like what's? Yeah. What the fuck is he talking? How about? does that even happen? I've never been. You know, crazy Uncle Earl stay locked up. 
He locked up again. <laughs> yeah, six to one is like yeah. six to one is like nutty. <laughs> like, isn't it? Like, yeah, that, that's that, that is like even the most dysfunctional like family. I could like I never seen a six to one ratio like ever. Right. No, there ain't no damn six to one ratio. Wow, that that is like. Like even if your family has like single mothers and divorces, yeah. somebody's always dating somebody new, right? You know, like somebody's always bringing a new boyfriend or whatever. Like, like that six to one thing is well, like nutty. And it's only cousins, there. Your, just... your brothers, sisters, yeah. cousins, uncles, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, yeah, six to one. That's a, that that does seem maybe also like being pedantic. Yeah, but, you know, I'm not. No, no, it is weird, but I think he just really, really wanted to sell it to them that you know it's gonna be all sass and neck rolling and Beyonce and and nice warm aunts. Like a lot of I think I mean it goes back to slave time. You see those pictures of like, you know, the slave owner's kids and the and the slave nanny the slave nanny slash mammy. I, I think there's I think black women represent in the white imagination a kind of warmth that a lot of them feel is missing from their own uh white maternal experiences oh no oh no <laughs> yeah uh oh why am i going too far no too no much? it just brings up that magical <laughs> negro trope again you know it kind of oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that helping us find so, something if you want to make in ourselves you know that's missing and that's missing in us like you know and it's usually not something intellectual it's usually something like emotionally divorced right. so i think to make his thanksgiving yeah. sound extra appealing to the white people he wants them to know you're gonna get all the black maternal energy that you've wanted your whole life and could never uh get mm. With your own white women in your family, you know, come to my place. We have six to one <laughs> black women. We're just like, it's 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 nuts. But also, look at the three things he does to explain the celebration in your mouth: Juneteenth, Brown versus Board, and Freaknik. Like that's the three most important things about. Um, yeah, that hasn't been popping for. Yeah, I mean, he's from Atlanta, so I mean, I'm guessing Freaknik was a, I guess, a formative part of his thing but yeah i mean like yeah maybe in his childhood maybe in his childhood he remembers it i mean somebody responded to me that he oh no no somebody responded to me that he he grew up in the black part of atlanta so i mean maybe he was uh freak nick was part of his childhood but but yeah juneteenth brown versus board like like why is brown versus board and freak nick among the three top celebrations of black people it's very weird i mean freak nick like you, you already pointed out is weird but brown versus boy at the end of the day is just integration like like i think in the way it's kind of telling on himself like that that is one of the top three things like the chance to go to school around white people like it's it's like like black people black, black people don't sit around by themselves yeah that, and, and just say oh man brown versus board like you know like like it's like a no, seminal I've never heard today's brown versus board of education let's celebrate anniversary yeah the closest one out of any of those is juneteenth i've you know people talk about yeah yeah Yeah. june juneteenth i i can see as a genuine like black celebration but like like freaknik was this particular moment in history but you know i think because part of the appeal of black people is 
the ratchetness, like, you know, the whole party, the whole party B, like if you experience us, you're going to get to tap into like your raunchy and dark side that you can't normally Mm. uh, tap into unassisted or in the white world. Pure heat, pure heat. Yeah. We can uh, be your window into that, you know, get into your dark side. uh, Get uh, slum. slum. That's basically what, what, Plumb the, plumb the depths of filth that is. Yeah, the yeah, exactly, and, and you know th- that's why so many of them like I think want to embrace Cardi B, not because they really like care about that hood life, but because uh, they feel like by being down with her, they can like then sell that to you know the, the white people they want to seat at the table with. You know, like like hey, we're your window to understanding uh, Cardi B. We're like one degree removed from Cardi B, even though like. If they had a Cardi B in their family, they would try to hide them in the closet as soon as possible. These people are nothing. These people have nowhere (laughs) near the same background as Cardi B. Nothing like it. Yeah, but you know, even a lot of these people, they have a Cardi B or whatever, you know, and a cousin or family. A lot of times they do. I mean, they will try to lose their number and hide from them. But, you know, a lot of them, you know, they will do whatever they can to... uh, stay away from them, but they will still try to pimp that imagery to, you know, make themselves seem more authentic to their audience. But, but yeah, like, like I find that interesting, like, like Brown versus board. Cause I, you know, I, I think also they, you also always want to communicate to the white people who read this, that the chance to get proximity to you is the greatest gift that you, you can give us. So we yeah. we appreciate it. Like, you know, like, because cause when white people really pat themselves on the back for that, like they really feel like they really deserve um, something for, you know, giving black people a chance to have proximity to them. And, you know, I think it's important in the mind of these people who would chase that proximity to kind of show that they're grateful. So he has to make it look like a top three celebration in the black community, which is like, you know, like Dmo said, is nobody celebrates the anniversary of Brown versus Board or whatever. It's just... Which is like a necessary thing that had to happen uh, because nobody was going to fix up the black community in that climate. So the next best thing is you had to get a chance to be in the white schools to get the resources. And then the freak thing. Yeah. But but the part the part that the part that you uh, gravitated to I thought was good. But Wakandan, like he couldn't even find a real black country <laughs> to reference, like. Yeah, he to mention like Wakanda from Thanksgiving. Was that? He said it was a Wakandan Thanksgiving. You know what? I, I didn't even really. I, I, I went over my head what Wakanda even was, and I, I guess probably people that listen to this show know what it is. But like, I was like, "What the hell is that?" The team was like, "Oh, from the Black Panther." I was like, "Oh, get the yeah that man." Yeah, Wakandan. A Wakandan Thanksgiving created by. Wakanda created by two Jewish guys born in the Great Depression. Like, do you th- do you think when when like Stan Lee and like Jack Kirby, like the two Jewish guys, uh, middle aged in the sixties, like born in the Depression, when they created Wakanda, they realized they were creating a cultural touchstone for like Black America, like that that the like, future generations of Black people were going to be referencing that over actual, like African real African countries, or you know, you know what I mean, like. I'm sure it don't surprise him. I'm sure it don't surprise him. That's just like, you know, that 
it's just like with us actually celebrating the actual Thanksgiving. It's like, you know, what was Thanksgiving? Who was that? How they created by? And what is it really celebrated? Very, and, you true. know, very true. Even the act of celebrating Thanksgiving is kind of uh, weird when you think about it. You know, but but this is yeah. Wakandan Thanksgiving. Like, uh, Wakanda it doesn't even make it doesn't even make sense because, like, like let's even treat Wakanda like it's real. It's um, it's an African country closed off from the world yeah. that hides its existence and hides how technologically right. advanced it is. So. There is no Wakanda Thanksgiving. Right, anyway. it means nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't even mean anything. It, it makes as much sense as saying, like you know, uh, the Thanksgiving that you find in the in the Congo. Like you know, it doesn't. It, yeah, it doesn't make. It doesn't make. You know what I wonder? Mm-hmm. That's probably stupid, but I just wonder, like, what if, like, you know, like racist white folks started, you know, is, you know, started using Wakanda as a euphemism for like nigger. And just started like calling black people, like particularly those black guys that really subscribe to this whole sci-fi nerdiness. If they say, "Hey, would you Wakandan?" Would they would, would they take that as an insult? It would after a while. Wouldn't I think they? they would, but I think what they would do is try to respond by giving a lecture. Like you know, they'd be like, you know, look at these white tears because you know people are threatened by an advanced black civilization. Well, here's a thread to explain. Why uh, the history of Wakanda and what it represents? You know, you know, like they would try to educate them on, you know, Wakanda. I think instead of realizing, hey, maybe, maybe it would look ridiculous. Like, you know, I, I think they would just do like think pieces about Wakanda. Like, I don't know. I just, just the way this guy, just the way he just like boils blackness down to, you know, just this, uh, you know, one little activity, like activities that uh, minor blips in people's daily lives like nobody you don't go around thinking about thanksgiving all year you know like when around this time of year it starts coming up but he's it's just a super black holiday. this is a black this is one of our blackest days of the year like what is, what is how, how is that representative of blackness how you know maybe he's gonna explain that in the article but 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 not but, but, but not just that what's blacks giving like like on that only makes sense if you think of Thanksgiving as, you know, if you think of white as default yeah. and normative, only then would you bother to otherize Thanksgiving well, and call it Blacksgiving. They but do that all the time, though. To most black people, a black Thanksgiving, yeah. they call it Thanksgiving. That That's what black people call Thanksgiving. Like, black, you only call it Blacksgiving if, to you, white is normal. Like, like tea. You know, I've never... I've. I've never called my Thanksgiving Blacksgiving. No, it's just exactly. Thanksgiving. These guys do that like, all the time. Why not call why not call his Thanksgiving Thanksgiving and call their Thanksgiving Whitesgiving? Exactly. Mm, that's a great point. That's a heavy point. What was interesting is um the reactions to uh white people. Like I was looking at white liberals responding to this article and they were like uh one one person added Rembert, they said, Rembert, if you are the Rembert Brown whose essay is in Bon Appetit, you are amazing. I could just visualize your family in Thanksgiving. I'm like, that's so fucking creepy. I'm like, I don't want you to just sit there like fantasizing my family. Like, well, whatever. They're acting like they got they got into the mind of like a foreign tribe. Like, you know, like like wow, we got to see how the savages eat, how the savages eat. Like I said, this is that patronizing thing. It's this is what it comes across to me as, you know, 
I could just I could just visualize that Negro seasoning. I had to reach for a glass of oh. water. <laughs> yeah, that's just to, uh, disgusting. Cool down my <laughs> man. I caught the I caught the itis in rush hour. I got secondhand itis. Oh god! Oh god! Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. That that was. But wait, we know we know it's funny when I did a thread on it. Uh, it got on the radar of uh black people. Like uh, black people started um, finding the same the same thread. The black people had a totally different reaction. Like it was just nothing but uh, clowning. <laughs> like people like 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 uh, one person wrote, "I'm crying at all of this," but it was crying like crying laughing. And so I'm gonna put this thread. Whoever Brown is, he or she makes you want to vomit sweet potatoes all over them. Someone put. Why is this written like some C-tier National Geographic article? And I'm not cherry-picking. This is like unanimously bad from black people. Uh, someone, someone put WTF, like, like what the fuck? Someone put reading this made me mad. Someone put laughing my ass off. My man just Googled black people things and put everything he found in this quote-unquote article. Like it's so, it's so interesting to see how black people re- reacted to this and then and then see how uh white people uh someone put fam what did i just read oh unanimously bad except for like two <laughs> except for like two <laughs> but yeah it was uh, so so actual black people they kind of one guy was like up. man remberts my nigga i yeah. hate it had to be so, him yeah. <laughs> so he was he regretted <laughs> the article was bad but at the same time, cosign of the guy just, you know, well, maybe we need to read something else from him and we get an overall picture of who he is and what he represents. Because this one, maybe he's not letting us know who he is, you know? Yeah, I saw that guy. He was a, a Rembrandt fan. Mm-hmm. So I guess he was disappointed. So he's like, I hate it had to be him. Like, because like, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. he's like disillusioned. Like, like, he was a fan. And then when he saw him write this, he was like, oh, man, um, I don't want to throw out the baby of the bathwater yet. Yeah. There might still be hope for him, but yeah, he's uh, he was yeah, very disappointed. So one of the big controversies this week, um, going back to the NFL protests, everybody, just to recap, we know that last year, Colin Kaepernick uh, uh, made headlines for taking a knee during the national anthem, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, fast forward to this season, uh, Kaepernick, uh, hasn't been picked up by any NFL teams. There's been widespread. Um, I don't know. I don't even want to. You can't even really call them protests, can you? The, the players are not protesting. They're they're playing football, but um, I guess they're taking place in uh, kneeling while the flag is while the while the uh, national anthem is being played. You know, some players are kneeling still and doing that kind of thing. So the owners have been getting somewhat vocal um, about what's been going on in the league since the season started. And what you have here with this story (laughs) is one of the owners actually came out and and made a Freudian slip and said to the effect of this article is coming up slowly for me that um, he said that this is the owner of the Houston Texans. And um, he said essentially that uh, you can't have the inmates running the asylum. Bob McNair. Bob yeah, 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 prison, Bob not McNair, the asylum. Yeah, is his name. He said prison. 
oh, the prison, I'm sorry, you can't have inmates running the prison. So he, he made the entire, um, you know, analogy of his players being akin to prisoners, you know, and of course that always takes us back to uh, imagery of chain gangs and, and Jim Crow and slavery and everything like that. Or even just, or so even just today, some, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, right now the prison industrial complex. Still, yeah. Know, yeah. The prison industrial complex. So it, it brings up a lot. It triggered a lot of, uh, of bad things. And some people were saying that, you know, it, it, it kind of belayed his mindset a little bit, you know, and the rest of the owners, you know, and they, in that they feel like these players are property of a sort and they really don't even have the right to make specific demands or to take specific aggressive actions to address um, wrongdoing that they feel is happening, not just in the NFL, but in society in general. So what would you, what'd you guys think about that when you read that story this week? Uh, for me, it was it wasn't that big of a deal. It, it was it wasn't the fact that I think he's, you know, that like people are really being more honest about how they feel. And even though he butchered the uh, the original saying of it's uh, it, it's how you originally said it. The inmates running the asylum. <laughs> but he stated the inmates that, running yeah. The prison. Yeah. And, you know, either way, it's bad. It's bad either way. And, uh, the, you know, all the Texans took a knee today before the game. And it's, you know, that is what it is. Uh, I don't, you know, it's just it's just another case of them drawing the lines. and letting them, They're tired of having to. Yeah cater to anybody else's feelings it, it's a, it seems like it's oppressive to them it's a it's a it's that's oppression to somebody them, having to feelings. consider right anybody else's feelings like well, you know, it's it's interesting yeah and it's interesting like, with uh narcissism and sociopathy uh both those things center around the idea well they're related but they center around the idea that you deserve special treatment you know just just for being you and that you get so entitled to special treatment that you feel like you not getting special treatment is like you know unfair like like you feel like you feel like if things should be 80 percent about you and 20 percent about other people then if somebody is getting 30 percent to your 70%, you don't look at it as, wow, I'm utterly like dominating them. You look at it as, wow, that person has infringed on me 10%. That person has uh, inconvenienced me. That person has stolen from me. And mm-hmm. if you think of racism as like, uh, you know, community narcissism, community sociopathy, you know, it totally makes sense. Like that type of uh, white supremacy thinks of itself as the neutral state is the status quo. And, you know, this is like abuse. Like this, you see like abuse or mistreatment to uh, only be ahead by like eight laps instead of 10. Mm. Good point. That's something that you've all, that you said before about only being ahead by a few, by eight laps instead of, you know, 10 or 20 laps. And they feel like any kind of action that's taken, any type of corrective action, or in this case, even just a, a passive aggressive uh, sentiment like kneeling, right? Because, I mean, if you really look at in the grand scheme of things, it's more symbolic than anything. They're not 
really doing anything. They're kneeling, you know, yeah. and, and and so. Well, they're showing their they're showing their solidarity with the struggle that's going out here on right. the streets, and they're, and they're, and, they're and just the, letting the, letting everybody know that they're with right. us. Right, and it's a it's a symbolic gesture, exactly. So, in 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 the grand scheme of things, it's not really hurting anybody. They're not. I don't think it's really affecting the the bottom line of the NFL. Although some people would say that you know. Um, protesters are, are, are the protests are making um, a certain portion of white America so uncomfortable that they're not watching football and that's why the ratings are going down and all this or that. So that could very well be, who knows. Um, but at the end of the day, even an act of defiance that if you really break it down is, is relatively harmless. Just the fact that they have the nerve to even do that is enough to get them to start talking and referring to these people as prisoners, man. That's crazy. Or inmates, so, I should say. One thing that makes these, these things lose a lot of credibility for me is I I hate when these people just get mad because, oh, uh, Donald Trump called the son of sons of bitches and told them to fire us like we're flunkies. Hey, we're not flunkies, you know. Or, hey, someone calls prisoners. Like, you know, it's just a little too personal individual for a lot of these people. So I guess somebody nerves that they get like this prisoner thing. I mean, people have been dying in the streets for like all these months and years. And if you're not one of the people who's been kneeling all along, if you're only kneeling now because somebody called you specifically a, a prisoner, you know, but you're fine with how yeah. they treat like the real people being taken to prison every day then you know it's it's a it's a lifestyle thing it's a it's like a how dare you treat me like like the other ones yeah i'll show you i'm gonna i'm gonna do what these guys are doing you know yeah and, and look, when i say a standing i meant like the original guys like colin kaepernick and yeah exactly and those guys not these guys that got on it after trump said what he said and not these guys that are called themselves punishing mcnair because of his comments, I, I don't, you know, it's it's self-serving in a lot of ways, and you know, I I don't want to get on them too bad about it, but I, you know, I'm not impressed. Yeah, they said somebody yeah, like yeah. Marshawn Lynch has been kneeling for a long time, even before uh, Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, and people and, didn't notice. Yeah, no, he sits, he sits, and he yeah, still sits. So. There's a there's a there's a photo of him uh, sitting at one of the Raiders games. And like they got like people surrounding him so that nobody sees him. They like they really had him boxed in with like six or seven people surrounding him on the bench. <laughs> like like literally the guy's ass was in his face. You know what I mean? While he was while, while he was sitting during the uh the uh oh, the wow. national anthem. Yeah, it's uh so I think we all in agreement that this guy was kind of saying, you know, what's what's on his mind. And he, his tongue kind of betrayed what was in his heart a little bit. One reason, yeah, one reason why yeah. I didn't um, get so offended about it. Like, I thought people were making kind of a big deal over nothing. But one reason I didn't get so offended over it, and it relates to your reason, is I feel like by their actions and how they treat them, they've been competing that for a while. Like, the kind of contempt yeah. they hold him in and how they kind of viewed him as, like, yeah. being on a gilded yeah. plantation or a gilded um, prison. So to me, I'm like, he just said it in words what their actions have been communicating for a while. So I just think some people just don't like someone to speak the truth and, like, you know, put it to words, you know? Yeah. 
and that's it. That's it. They're, they're, they're comfortable with just the, uh, the silence, uh, the silent oppression, the silent oppressiveness. But when you tell them that, yeah, you know what's going on, they, they like to pretend that people are like, these are just coincidences and oh, yeah. that's an accident or whatever, whatever. But when these guys come up and let you know that this is how I feel and as a result, yeah, you can communicate a million different ways that, you know, that somebody is viewed in society as a nigger. But then when you actually, Say the word nigger, suddenly, boom, all types of hell uh, breaks out. Those mental gymnastics, you can't, you can't, you can't flip anymore in your head. Like, oh, yep. he's this, it's just this or it's just that. Yep. No, and uh, you're a nigger. Here's a good last, That's how I feel about last topic. Deal with it. Um, I'll let one of you guys uh, bring talk about it, but. The Black Lives Matters response to the Shelbyville protest, I thought was pretty heart, uh, heartening. Yeah. Yeah, MDM brought that up. Yeah, yeah for sure. So. I think um, a lot of times we talk about being uh, overreactionary. We talk about how the, the right responses to have to certain things that have been going on. And I think that, you know, now seeing an organization like Black Lives Matter. I think this is specifically the Tennessee chapter of Black Lives Matter. Um, and we'll put the uh, a link to the article in the show notes. Um, basically, they had planned a, a, there was a White Lives Matter rally planned in Shelbyville, Tennessee, and in another city. I can't even pronounce the name of it. Murfreesboro. It's in, it's in, it's in two places. It's in both. It's in Shelbyville and Murfreesboro. 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 Um, yeah. Oh, I got okay. family. That's my dad's family's from Shelby. Anyway, they said that they won't take part of the protests. And um, basically part of the reasoning that they gave is they say, look, white supremacy has been allowed to run amok, both covertly and overtly for a very long time. And black people have been at the forefront of fighting it for a very long time. And, you know, now we're tired and it's time for you guys to kind of step up to the plate and, 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 and put your money where your mouth is. So we will not. Yeah, yeah it was pretty, it was pretty good. They, the, uh, it's actually pretty short. So I'll just read the, the whole thing really quick. Uh, their statement was this weekend, white supremacist groups will host rallies in Shelbyville and Murfreesboro. While Black Lives Matter in Nashville understands why it is important to counter protest these types of gatherings. We will not participate in any counter-protest. We believe that, that gatherings of neo-Nazis and Klansmen like these distract us from the destructive ways systemic white supremacy rallies against the lives of black and brown people in Middle Tennessee and this country every day. The, the white supremacists that will gather this weekend are at work in these systems year-round. Our hope is that any counter-protest will extend its message to discussing the myriad ways black people are disproportionately and negatively impacted by the systemic policies that undergird this country. With their proud displays of Confederate iconography, Shelbyville and Murfreesboro are attractive locations for groups like League of the South. We know that they are here because they want to incite fear in our black and brown immigrant communities. We know that they are here because our resistance against the devaluation of our lives is growing, and they feel their power to divide us being threatened. We know they are here because we live in a country that continues to scapegoat and 
type rural communities as centers for hate, racism, Islamophobia, and fascism, but refuses to acknowledge the classist ways white supremacy is employed. Finally, we believe that these realities are times for white people to step up. Although it is scary, cowering in fear or hiding behind closed businesses or relying on protection from law enforcement will not effectively combat um, white supremacy. Yeah, and and yeah, that's that's basically it. But yeah, they just basically told him to step up. Yeah, I think one good thing about Black Lives Matter being decentralized in a lot of ways is problematic because it can be like unfocused and scattered and and not on message. But I think that decentralization and lack of leadership also allows for the odd chapter like this one to surprise you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I don't know if some of the chapters in the North would have taken the same stance. The point, the point. Um, you know, like the Cambridge brand. I think there's one up in Cambridge and they took place in the uh, the counter protest up there in uh, Massachusetts a couple months back that we had. The one that they had directly after the Charlottesville situation. And um you know, one of the things that I, I think is important to, to think is when when in, when the Charlottesville situation happened, there were some black guys out there. There was a white lady that lost their life as well. There was a couple of black people out there um, on the front lines that were severely beaten and threatened with. I think one guy even got shot at. And what's happened in the wake of all of that is there was a demand for charges to be filed against some of the white supremacists. But what actually ended up happening yeah, was the black yeah. people who took what the happened beatings was, were uh, Sean with King crimes. did all this and stuff. Because so, they weren't chasing the people. They were on camera. Nobody was doing anything. Wow. Sean King just kept putting on blast the pictures of the people. He got all his readers and, and mm-hmm. whatever to look for the people, to dox them. So then people found all these names and whatever, stuff that the police weren't willing to do. Like, the police just act like, oh, well, we can't do anything. So Sean King did it. So he got all the names, then he broadcast on his platform, these are, this is so-and-so, this is their name, this is where they live, their age, where they work. Uh, police, what are you going to do about it? This is so-and-so, here's the information, what are you going to do? So they got shamed, basically, into finally arresting those people. And once that happened, because, you know, at the end of the day, white supremacy always has to find a way to get the last word. After that, like a month later, they issued a warrant to the black people that got beaten for, for like, uh, what they did to the uh, for fighting back and defending <laughs> yeah. themselves. Yeah, the so isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, like it was basically just retaliation right. for, like, if you're going to force us to arrest racists, then... Here's our final fuck you. Yeah, it is. Right. Right. And I think one of the things that became readily apparent after Charlottesville, and there was another recent incident, um, relatively recent incident, where the lady up in, um, um, forgive me for not remembering her name, because there's so many crazy things that ended up happening, but the lady that was shot uh, and killed by the black police officer, um, I think it was in Minnesota, 
and then also the white nurse that was arrested in Utah by a police officer and the collective outrage of the country when those things happen. And I think what a lot of the Black uh, Lives Matter types and a lot of other people were are realizing is that, you know, exactly. the outrage only happens when these these terrible things happens to other white people. So they're like, well, shit, if that's the case, why am I going to go out there and risk getting shot and beaten and all this other stuff? You know, when at the end of the day, nobody will give a damn. And as a matter of fact, I may actually end up dead or in jail as a result of these protests. You know what I'm saying? So if you guys only care when it happens to a white person, then, you know, go ahead and out there and handle that, that would, you know? Yeah, exactly. You let these white people go to the counter process and put their bodies in the line, I guess, is their, um, is their attitude. And I can, I can kind of, I can kind of see it. Cause I also think a lot of your time could be better spent, um, trying to rebuild the black community yeah. and you know, do stuff yeah, like that. Black Lives Matter has received a lot of funding. And so with that funding, you know, there needs to be um, a distribution of resources into the community. You know, since they, they, they say that they're a black community based organization. So, you know, you're getting hundreds of millions of dollars in donations that you need to start uh, making a difference inside of the communities. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? Wow. We went to two hours. I think yeah, that's yeah. long. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, so so be it. We're gonna just hit on these real bullets, real, real fast. Hit them <laughs> yeah. hard, and uh, we're gonna get up out of here. Yeah, I think forty-five minutes top. Certain things we just gonna resist, like 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 the stripper. I think we spent a lot of time on, but oh well. So so be it. Couldn't hey, that's important. Get on out there. Gonna make sure you do that. Uh, get them organized out there, Mike. Hey, next time you guys hear from me, I'll probably be in the field. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's a wrap. Corresponding right. And, you know, everyone have a good week. We will see you on the flip side. All right. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Told you so. Told you so.